You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Brother Kobernack, what a blessing to be with y'all and and uh, got to know some of you a little bit. And uh, it's it always goes too fast when we're just here for a weekend, and so. Hopefully, uh, maybe in the future, sometime in 2021, I can come back and spend a few days with you and teach you a little bit about the Constitution. I want to thank you so much for all the goodies that you left us over there at your missions house. They were, they were crunchy. Amen. And, and, and I love a fruit basket that has very little fruit in it. My favorite. Okay. And your missions house, how beautiful. My, oh my. My wife walked in and and I understand, Ms. Coburnett, you were the one that decorated it. It was a combined effort, okay? My wife walked in, she said, Magnolia Farms, I've arrived. <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, you ladies get that. You guys are looking at me, like, as we used to say in Oklahoma, as a calf looking at a new gate, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, but it's decorated very nice. And I mean, from stem to stern, very, very good, and uh, appreciate it. Am I okay with the wireless, brother, am I all right? We, we good? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. He's just looking at me like, yeah, good? Okay. Amen. Good. <laughs> oh, boy. But, you know, the, uh, the country that we live in truly uh, is uh, such a miraculous nation. Uh, we need to understand every time we wake up in the morning, we're waking up in a miracle. We need to understand that today, that young lady, Erica, took part in a miracle. And I told her, I said, oh, you, you have made our whole week because this is what it's all about. And she came out and she was beaming. I mean, simply beaming. And uh, so excited about the things of the Lord. And, and uh, <clears throat> you need to pray for her, pray for Erica, uh, hedge protection around her. And... Uh, the song that we sang, God Bless America, one of my favorites, Brother Coburnett, it was actually written by a Jew in World War I, but it wasn't really popularized until World War II, where in 1938, Kate Smith introduced it over the radio, and it became really kind of a, an anthem for World War II. And uh, as, the storms, as the storm clouds gathered far beyond the sea, and it was, it was truly a prayer that we sang, God Bless America. And when we sing, My Country Tis of Thee, I think really we need to understand that that song, it should be actually titled, God, Our Country is Because of You. Sweet land of liberty. The author of liberty is God. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And that's why we have so much liberty here in America. And uh, so it's just, uh, again, uh, just wonderful to, uh, to be here and to know that this is one of our supporting churches. We don't, don't take that for granted. And of course, in Washington, D.C., my wife and I, we always get prayed up before we walk on to Capitol Hill because it's kind of modern-day Rome. Uh, it started with great light of truth, but I'm, saying, I'm sorry to say that it slipped into darkness, and so we're taking the light back. And, uh, and the truth back. And, and, but we get prayed up because, as we all know, 
God wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. And uh, we need to be very careful about that. And I, uh, when I was a young man, I used to hitchhike. You can tell by my thumbs. I ruined that one on the way to the West Coast. I ruined this one on the way back. Now I can't even hitchhike if I want to because they pick me up and drop me around the corner and I just go around circles because work with me here, will you? And so uh, one particular time, I would never recommend it now because of course our country is so completely different from what it once was. Uh, but one time the, there was a tractor trailer that pulled up, I got real excited. It was one of those open tractor trailers, had all the automobiles, two stories, you know, brand new automobiles. And the guy pulled over, ran up to the cab, opened the door, he said, not enough room in here, get in one of the cars. So I climbed up on the second story and, and got behind one of the wheels of the car and he took off. And I was waving at everybody, kind of enjoying the ride, you know. And he was really into picking up hitchhikers. He picked up 14 more hitchhikers. We all had our own car. <laughs> waving, it was like, you know, very interesting. And he got so excited, he got pulled over and he got a speeding ticket. And so did all of us. <laughs> I just didn't think that was fair. Say, what is that? That's guilt by association. <laughs> Amen. Now, we don't want to be guilty by association. So we want to be in the world, but not of the world. And we want to understand, as God's people, we must always have a biblical worldview. Amen. We must have, you might say, spiritual taste buds. Yeah. Okay? So that when we see something, read something, we can tell this is the truth that's going a little bit south. I don't know if you men would agree with me, but there was a time in my life, I was a young boy, and, and I went to the refrigerator, opened up the refrigerator, and there was a full gallon of milk there, ice cold condensation just kind of dripping off of it, and it spoke to me. And it said, forget about the glass. Just pick me up, tilt me over, and let me go. Because everyone knows milk tastes better out of a jug than it out, does out of a glass. Amen. Can I get a witness out there? Thank you, brother. And I looked to see if mama was around, and sure enough, I, I, I did just that. Now, uh, I did it another time as well. I don't think my mother planned it this way, but this time when I went to uh, get a couple of those slugs from the milk, instead of that cool, silky substance going down my throat. It was more along the consistency of cottage cheese. And when it hit my taste buds, my taste buds said, spit it out! And I did. Now, how many of you men will say there was a time that I drank milk out of a jug? Raise your hand, let me see. A bunch of you liars hit the altar after we get through. But what I'm saying is we need to have a biblical worldview. We need to understand what's going on through and by God's word and realizing there's no substitute for experience. I remember a story of a, of a man. He was very good at healing animals, farmer. And so once he went ahead and retired from the farm, he moved into the city and he said, you know, I was so good at finding out what was wrong with animals, I could probably do that with people. 
And so he opened up this pseudo-medical practice, and he put a shingle out. And it said, cures, $500. If not cured, get 1000 Well, there was an actual doctor in the town that took some exception to this. The man making the pretense of a doctor. And so we'll call the old man that came in from the farm, Dr. Geezer, and we'll call the actual doctor that was much younger than him, Dr. Young. So Dr. Young showed up. He said, I'm gonna make $500 and teach this guy a lesson. So when he showed up, small town, and Dr. Geezer said, Dr. Young, what seems to be the trouble? He said, well, I don't have any taste buds. I can't taste anything. He said, well, please get on the examination table. And he looked at his tongue and, and looked at, again, his ears and eyes, and, and he said, nurse, Betty, uh, go get that box from uh, 22 and put three drops of that on Dr. Young's tongue, to which she did. By the time the third drop touched his tongue, Dr. Young said, no, that's kerosene. She said, congratulations. You got your taste buds back. That'll be $500. So now Dr. Young walks out. He's out $500. He said, oh, I got to get my $500 back and then make another $500 and still teach this guy a lesson. So he thought about it. He said, this is foolproof. There's no way he's going to be able to get around this. And so he walked in a few days later. And again, Dr. Young said, Dr. Young, you're back so soon. What seems to be the trouble? He said, I've lost all of my short-term memory. I can't remember just what's happened like a, a day or two. He said, well, please get on the examination table. And once again, he examined him. He said, Nurse Betty, Betty, go get that box for, for 22 and put three drops of that on Dr. Young's tongue. He said, hey, no, you don't. That's kerosene. He said, congratulations. You got your memory back. That'll be $500. Now he's out $1,000. He said, at least got to break even. And so he thought and he thought. After a week, he came back in. This time, dark sunglasses tapping around with a cane. Of course, Dr. Geezer sees him. Dr. Young, what's the trouble? He said, I, I can't see. I can't see. He said, well, please, Nurse Betty, help him and get him to the examination table. He took his glasses off and looked at his eyes and said, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't think I can do anything for you. Here's $1,000. He said, hey, that's only $10. He said, congratulations. <laughs> That'll be $500. <laughs> what I'm saying, there's no substitute for experience. Here is the word of experience. And we need to glean from it. Ezra, if you would please. Ezra and chapter 9. Of course, this is what's going on in the nation and how wonderful it is that Ezra went back to rebuild the house of God, you know, all those things. And as he said, by the good hand of our God upon us and all the things that God did for them. But then in verse 9, something happened. And that's where we're going to pick it up this evening for our purposes tonight. It says in verse 9, verse, chapter 9, excuse me, verse 1, now, when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, Ezra 9 and verse 1. Even the Canaanites and Hittites, Perizzites, 
the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Egyptians and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes, look at this now, and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. Now, when you look at our nation and you understand something, that some of the most egregious things going on in our nation are being perpetrated upon us by our rulers that actually have degenerated into thinking that they are rulers and not governors. See, Americans, we don't like to be ruled. We have a great exception to that. We, we can be governed, but we don't like to be ruled. And that's what's going on today. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down astonished, astonished. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I arose up from my heaviness, having rent my garment and my mantle and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God and said, O oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee. My God, for our iniquities have increased over our head and our trespasses grown up unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day. And for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil and to confusion of face as it is this day. See the similarities there? Look at verse 8. And now, and now, for a little space grace hath been shown us, shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us all a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. I want to speak on a space of grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you now for loving us. There's so many things I would want to say, but Father, I bow before you now. We pray that, Lord, as I surrender everything that I am to you, that you would direct the thoughts that come into my mind that you would allow me to articulate them, and Father, most of all, that through and by that holy unction from on high, through and by your Holy Spirit, that you would indwell everything that is said and infuse it into our minds and our hearts, sprinkle it with thy grace. Father, help us, dear God, to understand that we are living in the last days. Perilous times shall come, and we are supposed to continue to understand who you are and how you work. So, Lord, we pray tonight that the light of thy countenance might shine down upon uh, this service and once again create and maintain a hedge protection around this assembly, bind off the wicked and the evil entities that would keep us from 
focusing upon you. Help our minds and our hearts to become quiet now. And Lord, Lord, stir us and that thy Holy Spirit might have free reign through and in each mind and heart. Help the cares and burdens, aches and pains of this life to dissipate. And Lord, we'll be very careful to give you all the praise and glory for what you're about to do. For we ask this in the precious name of your Son and our Savior and by the power and the merit and the authority that is in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Ezra witnessed in his day sin, the failings of his people, his nation. And there was such egregious violations of the law that Ezra literally sat astonished. I'm astonished, I don't know about you, about how quickly and how far the left-wing ideologues have gone. I mean, it, it amazes me. It burdens me. And if I had a beard, I'd probably pluck it out. I'm not going to pluck out my hair because I want to try to keep as much as I can. Amen. But what I'm saying is we need to be burdened for our country. We need to literally ask God. And if we're not burdened, if the niceties of life displace that burden, we need to ask God to continue to give us a burden to pray for our nation. Ask God to give us a desire to do some things perhaps that we've never done before because, you see, we've already been given a space of grace for four years. There's no reason why a businessman that has never run for any public office ran for the highest office in the world and won aside from God and his people. I mean, I told the Sunday school class we couldn't even get 20% of people, Christians, to show up to vote in previous presidential elections. Went from 18% to over 81%. Some people say as much as 90%. I told my wife before I left for the W Hotel to watch the election returns in 2016, if Trump and Pence win, as I believe they will, I'm coming back home and I am going to go dance on the roof. <laughs> so get the ladder ready. At 3.30 in the morning, I called her. And thankfully, she was the voice of reason. Okay? But I felt like it because I knew that God had performed a miracle. Look, I sat in the highest levels of conservatism in Washington, D.C. When the question was asked, two weeks before the election, how many believe that Hillary has the road to the White House? And every hand went up except for four. I was one of the four. And the reason why is because they weren't looking at it from a biblical standpoint. See, they didn't see what I saw for five years leading up to 2016 where whole churches would empty out at the altar. And may I say, as serious as 2016 was, 2020 is even more serious. For a little space, grace. All of these would-be anarchists. They're trying to destroy our country, and saying that certain things matter, and yet those same people are killing black people. And Antifa, who is hijacking these peaceful demonstrations into violence, and how our law enforcement is continued to be defamed 
where two officers were just ambushed and are fighting for their lives. Psalm 74 and verse 22 says, Arise, O God, plead thine own cause. Remember how the foolish man reproacheth thee daily. See, a lot of times we need to look at it from God's perspective. Hey, I want you to see something here. And if you would go with me over to Psalm 33, because a lot of times people say, you know, there's just, you know, it just seems like it's out of control. It's not out of control. God is in control. And it says in Psalm 33, I believe something that we need to pray through. It says in Psalm 33, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. See, this is hope. Amen. And it goes on to say, he maketh the devices of the people of none effect. So there's a lot of people right now trying to literally orchestrate the downfall of our country. But as long as we get a hold of God, God can take all of that and bring it to nothing. And I believe he will if we understand something that about our nation, as your pastor has already referred to. You see, in America, it's very unique because patriotism in America, by the way, at one time was even preached against by some of our brethren. Patriotism is our faith nationalized. I mean, our founding fathers, they knew what was going on. And they knew, hey, the Hiding parsons of the day were men that led their congregations into battle because they knew that the freedom of the pulpit was going to depend upon us gaining our independence from the tyranny of King George III that wouldn't even let us print our own Bibles. Uh, I like the one pastor by the name of James Caldwell. And he was loved by his men because he wasn't in the back of the line. He was out in front. He would preach repentance toward God and then run into battle for independence from tyranny. And they were fighting against the British and they were running out of wadding. Now, wadding is the paper that separates the shot from the powder. The only thing about black powder, you need the wadding. They were running out of it. British were advancing. They were fighting by a church. James Caldwell got an idea, ran over and got a bunch of hymnals. Back in those days, we called them Watts's hymnals because Isaac Watts was such a prolific songwriter. He came out with a big stack of hymnals and said, let's give them Watts, boys. And they got the idea, grabbed the songbooks, start tearing out the pages and using it as wadding, and they won the day. Amen. See, there's an old saying, give them what for? And that's where it comes from. Hey, I struck a nerve right there. <laughs> Amen. That's where it comes from. Well, they killed his wife, shot through his house, killed his wife thinking that was going to deter James Caldwell. The next Sunday, he got up, put his pulpit Bible dead center, and put two braces of pistols on either side of his Bible and dared the British to come in and take his Bible or his guns. I think that was probably the precursor of praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Now, what I'm saying is, see, we understand that the separation between patriotism and Christianity in America should never be. It goes one and the same. 
revival led to the revolt from tyranny. Now, you know Jesus Christ came to save, to seek and to save that which was lost, right? But you do understand, he also wept over his nation's capital. Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. When was the last time you wept, wept over your nation's capital? I see it's beautiful. You saw it represented here. It's been renovated inside and out. It's beautiful. And I understand one day it probably will be in wreck and ruin, but that should never happen on our watch. See, we've been given a space of grace, and this election will not just be a, a political party getting in or not. Oh, no, no. It'll be the continuation or the beginning of the end of our nation if Christians don't get out and vote. You say, well, Brother Harding, we are obviously just a sampling of Christians here. Yeah, but you know what happened in 2016? I remember in this church, you all got to an old-fashioned altar and you prayed and wept for God to stir his people. Look, it's going to be the end of our nation. Say, you're doom and gloom. No, I'm hope and glory. And we can't let this happen because of young people. They're counting on us. These young ladies really don't get to the certain extent what I'm talking about. But it won't just be some agenda. It'll be much more than that. It's going to be life or death. It's going to be liberty or bondage. It's going to be the pursuit of happiness or poverty without hope. That's what this next election is going to be. The freedom of the pulpit is in jeopardy if we allow these people to try to hijack this election. As you know, they're trying to do. But if Christians show up, if 82 million Christians show up, that, that won't even matter then. He'll get in by such a landslide. But see, we need to, we need to show up. If we showed up and voted in every election, as I, I believe I've already said, we would never lose another election. But we don't. And many times, God's people don't even get registered to vote. And we've got to get to a point where we see some things in our nation and realize that, hey, this country will continue if we, as God's people, stay in this old book. What I'm saying is this. You understand that at one time, just owning a Bible was a death sentence. If you had a Bible in the English language, if you were caught with the Bible. Over in England, I stood where they would march out men and women and children on St. Bart's Day as part of the entertainment. Christians that had no other offense but owning a Bible in their language, and they would burn them alive at the stake. While everyone ate their niceties and enjoyed the festival, there were Christians being burnt to death. I wonder how we would reverence God's word, if we understood it'd be a death sentence if we were caught with it, you see. You know, the dawn of liberty began over in Europe. The destination was here in America, but the dawn began over there, where Wycliffe started copying the Bible out in the common man's tongue. 
it got out amongst some of the laborers there that would work from sunup to sundown. Backbreaking work. Only getting enough money to keep body and soul together. But when they found out Wycliffe was copying out the word of God in their language, even though some of them couldn't read, they started depriving their families of necessary food for weeks and sometimes months. And at the end of that period, the father would go over to that little cottage industry of Wycliffe's and walk in and put those few coins on the table. And Wycliffe would come out and ask them, is there a particular page that you wanted? And bring out one page of God's Word. And put it on the table, take some twine and tie it together. That man would take that one page of God's Word and walk home to his little hovel of a house. And there his family would be waiting, vis visibly emaciated, but not whining, jumping up and down with great anticipation. And he would walk in, and they were in awe. He'd take that one page, one page of God's Word, put it out on the table, his little rough-hewn table, sitting on a dirt floor, and unwrap it and let it fold out. And his, his wife and children would gather around him, and he'd say, now we're wealthy because we have the eternal Word of God in our house. We own a portion of God's Word. See, if we're going to experience revival, yes, we need to start getting into this book Amen. like we've never gotten into it before. Amen. We need to listen to it. Yes. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Amen. We need to read it, give attendance to reading until I come. We need to study it. Study to show thyself a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. We need to Memorize it. Yes. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I wonder in 2020, how many verses have you memorized? Huh. See, it may be a day where this Bible's taken from us. The POWs over in the Hanoi Hilton knew that. And all they did for months and years was write down verses that they had learned in Sunday school. And, and they did it on this rough paper that they actually were given for toilet paper. And they had a toilet paper Bible. And they would smuggle it between each other. That was the thing that kept them going. But we need to memorize so we can meditate upon it. Amen. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. We need to start doing something different with God's Word. If we want to have revival, we need to do something different than we have ever done before. Because if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you always have. And how has that served us? You understand? I mean, I've seen, I've seen cows. You know what a cow is? You know what a cow is, right? Yeah, you ever seen a cow? Okay, what do cows do? This is what they do. And, I've, and I used to watch them when I was a kid. I'm going to give you an extrapolation of the deeper doctrine of God. Okay? But cows in Maryland, I guess they do the same thing everywhere. I'd look at them as a little boy, seven, eight years old, and they'd be sitting under a shade tree doing this. Ready? And then they'd 
and I'd watch them. And then they'd do this. And I'd, I'd say, where'd they get that from? That's got to be double, double, bubble, bubble. <laughs> but when I got a little bit older, I realized they have a primary stomach, secondary stomach, tertiary stomach, even a fourth stomach. I don't know what that's called. But in any case, they ruminate. So they eat a lot of grass and they bring it up and they chew it again. I thought as a kid, that'd come in real handy in school. You know, I was getting close to lunchtime and the teacher's droning on and I'd be out there. She'd say, hey, what are you eating? Snickers bar. Where'd you get it? I ate it last night. I just brought it back up to <laughs> chew on a little bit. Say, Brother Harding, that's gross. No, that's biblical truth that we need to memorize God's word so we can meditate upon it because we're going to need this. By the way, our country needs this. And if we're going to see revival, then we need to get on an old-fashioned altar tonight and understand our children's future is in jeopardy unless we start doing something with that book different than we've ever done before. Daniel Webster said this, if there is anything in my thoughts or style to commend, the credit is due to my parents for instilling in me an early love of the Scriptures. Listen to this. He being dead yet speaketh. From the 1800s, again, Daniel Webster, quote, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we, in our prosperity, neglect its instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all of our glory in profound obscurity. End quote. See, folks, it's time for us to get serious about God's Word. It's time for us to understand that the men of yesteryear they were very serious about their walk with God. They even thought scripturally and they prayed in such a way that sometimes we have no concept of. As the British were approaching and attacking Boston, the Continental Congress went to prayer for three hours through Psalm 35. Three hours. They actually acquired a preacher that prayed with them and went through the Scriptures. For three hours, these men of God, our founding fathers, prayed through Psalm 37. The Quakers, who were very stoic, okay, showed very little emotion. John Adams wrote to Abigail, his wife, and said, even the Quakers were visibly moved to tears because the power of God was so palpable in that prayer meeting. When was the last time we had a prayer meeting where the power of God came down in such an amazing way that everyone understood, Holy Spirit of God is here with us. See, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, it will not compete for our time. It's that still, small voice that won't compete with the screaming voices of the... We need to come apart and start getting serious about our prayer life. I can't even begin to tell you what, God has, what He's done for us since my wife and I got serious about our prayer life years ago. I can't begin to tell you what he's done. It's simply miraculous. And I'm sorry to say, so many Christians live so far below where God wants them to be. 
because we don't pray. Look, I have a long prayer list. I pray for over 240 pastors by name every day. That's just my pastor's list. Then I have a list of military people that people have requested me to pray for. And then I have, I have a, a missionary prayer list. And then I have my governmental prayer list. And you see, we're exhorted to pray for the president, the vice president. And if this, look, if any president ever needed prayer, this president does. He's more tact than any president in history. And I don't know about you, it's wonderful because he is attacked and then he goes over here and does some wonderful stuff. You know, like a normalized relations between Arab nations and Israel. I don't know about you, that's great. And he's attacked and he goes over here and moves our embassy to Jerusalem. Hey, I don't know about you, I like that. You know why? Because God says those that bless his people, God will bless their nations and their family. I'm excited about that. I don't know about you, but there he's attacked and he goes to the UN and tells the terrorist nations, hey, if you try to work towards the demise of our country, you're not getting one more red cent from us. And they're getting up and walking out. And he said, we're taking names too. I like that. You say, well, I don't like how he expresses himself sometimes. I get that. Now, he actually gives testimony that he's saved. He said, then why does he still use some of the words? He, well, he's not sanctified yet, okay? Give the guy a break, all right? I got saved when I was 21. It took me a year to stop cussing. He got saved when he was in his 70s. What I'm saying is, I sure am glad he's there. He's Cyrus for us right now. He is someone that God has literally given to us for such a time as this, you see. We need to pray for him. I don't know about you, I'm glad he called the dictator of North Korea Little Rocket Man. Amen. Was a, well, he shouldn't be doing that. He's treating him like an enemy. I, I thought, we do understand, right, that we're technically still at war with North Korea. It's just the DMZ, the demilitarized zone. We're still at war. Still at war with Korea. Boy, I must hasten on. I just looked at the clock, and I am behind time. So what I'm saying is we need to pray for this president and the vice president. We need to understand that we as God's people need to believe in our God as the God of the impossible. You understand that when I first started this ministry, Guys were telling me what you're trying to do is impossible. You're trying to get a bunch of independent Baptists together? That's impossible. You're trying to get them to D.C.? When we think the way that we do about our government, I'm talking about 18 years ago, they said that's impossible. I said, you know, thank you. Because I serve the God of the impossible. And we see what God's done. Today, the liberty of the pulpit multiplied thousands of pulpits. This pulpit right here rests in preachers and pastors and their people. The fate of, again, millions of people depend upon what we're going to do here tonight. United by the God of the impossible. You understand, for centuries, men longed for the freedom of the pulpit and they deemed it impossible to throw off the tyrannical ideology of the divine right of kings. As Baptists, for most of our history, we would preach and we'd be hung. We would preach and we'd be drawn and quartered. We would preach, and we would be whipped to death. You ever 
Wonder why Patrick Henry gave that great speech where he ended, give me liberty or give me death, because he was watching a Baptist preacher being beaten to death in Culpeper, Virginia, for not having a license from the state-run Church of England. He said, shouldn't happen here. By the way, those words were not Patrick Henry's. Those were the Baptist preacher that was being beaten to death, where he was saying, give me liberty or give me death. We would preach and we'd be thrown in jail. Now we preach and we go out to eat. Amen? Big difference. Because other people understood something. It took the divine intervention of the King of Kings, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bring about the inception of this nation. Our forefathers applied to the God of the universe for the rectitude of their intentions, you see. And when we see, when we understand as a nation that those people thought that God would do for them what he's always done for others because he's no respecter of persons. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God is still the God of the miracle. And he'll do for us what he's done for others before. We just need to believe. Too many times we, we suffer from the sin of unbelief. He did not many mighty works there. Why? Because they're unbelief. You understand that when... I used to say, well, hey, we're going to become the number one nation in the world again for oil exportation. I said that in California. I said, when we get some refineries built here, by the way, that's going to happen in the next four years, we're going to see gas go back down to 75 cents a dollar, in my opinion. Now, I told the people in California, you'll be paying $2, but the rest of the nation <laughs> will be paying 75 cents a dollar in my opinion. But those who believe that impossible things can happen develop an incredible faith because they believe that God measures our faith by the concept of our belief in Him. Now, what do you believe God can do? Huh? What do you believe that God can do? You know what the world says? It's too good to be true. <laughs> Doesn't it? Oh, that's good, too good to be true. That's a worldly saying from worldly thoughts. People who grow in great faith are those that believe that nothing is too good to be true if God gets involved. So people of yesteryear, they were not small-minded people. They believed in a big God. We need to believe in a big God again. And here's the thing, if, if you are... Suffering from the inklings of unbelief, you can ask God to help your unbelief. See, we need to read our Bibles like we've never read our Bibles before. Pray like we've never prayed before. Do we need to look to those men of yesteryear? Are we not those same type of people today that God can break us and burden us for our country and give us another space of grace? We need to start reading our Bibles. I mean, some of you tonight, all of us tonight, actually, need to say, Lord, I'm going to make a greater commitment to read your word. I want to make a greater commitment to pray. If you believe, now, how many believe that God's a God of miracles? Raise your hand, let me see. Okay. Now, if you believe that, here's the next question, rhetorical, so don't raise your hand. How many have a miracle on your prayer list? 
and that you're praying for. That you know God. He, unless he does it, it's not going to get done. Yeah, right. See, that's where the rubber meets the road. I'm praying for some miracles. I told you one today. I could go on and tell you several more tonight that God's done for us. What I'm saying is, folks, we need to start getting a prayer list and, and writing down some miracles for our family, for our pastor and our churches, for our cities, for our state, and for our nation. We need to start expanding our faith and asking God to show himself mighty on our behalf. See, I believe this. I believe God's a God of threes. He's the Trinity, is he not? Yeah. How many times do we have the Trinity of truth and Pauline epistles? And then this is something that I've found too, not just in the study of the Bible, but his story, history. He's a God of three in history as well. It happens. Three main things. Right now, we're in the middle of a major pivot. A major pivot. You can count them on one hand. And if we see this president get back in, it allows us to see God work in liberty. Civil liberty gives us permission to go forward with the spiritual liberty that's in Christ. We start in the 1600s, bled over into the 1700s. A great revival completely changed our nation's colonial population. 200 years later, when we were about to fall apart in the war between the states, second great awakening. Miraculous. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people getting saved. It's been 200 years since the Second Great Awakening. I don't know about you, but if there's any way that we can see a Third Great Awakening, I want to be in on it. What about you? Let me have all the young people stand. All the young people, all teenagers and, and, and below, stand up, stand up just, just for a minute. See, we get what we what we're asking God for. There's, there's no way we're going to get unless we ask for it. See these young people here? I want to ask you, are these young people worth you committing to pray for revival in our country and saying, Lord, begin with me? These young people here, you see, I think they're worth it. I don't even know them, and I think they're worth it. These young people here, making a little commotion during the video tonight, that's okay, we'll forgive them. We know they're teenagers, okay? But these young people are worth it for us to read our Bible with more tenacity. Is your Bible reading honoring God? Are you memorizing Scripture so you can take it and chew on it? We need to pray with more fervency, knowing the hour of urgency that we are within. We need to witness with more consistency and believe with more surety and ask God, Lord, I'm going to start praying for a third great awakening, a revival. And I want you to begin with me, but I want it to spread. See, there's three things. Thank you, young people. You can be seated. There's three things, and I'm, I'm closing here very quickly, and uh, I want to obey orders from headquarters. Okay? Three things that when they happen, R.A. Torrey, the great revivalist, points in history and says, every time, every time these three things occur, a revival follows. Number one, 
let a few Christians get thoroughly right with God themselves. This is the prime essential. If this doesn't happen, nothing else will come to pass. Just getting right with him and then getting right with others. Okay, number one. Number two, binding themselves together. You know how the great Welsh revival started? Two old women. Two old women that turned out to be the great aunts of the teenage girl by the name of Sarah McLeod that got saved, who turned out to be Donald Trump's mother. And when she got saved, after two women, one blind, one so arthritic she couldn't even stand up straight, prayed down the revival, they gave revival. And it's been told me in various sources she gave that to Donald Trump and he had that with them during the inauguration. It's in the Bible Museum now. Talk about revival. You say, Brother Harding, are we talking about this going to be the last Trump? No, don't read into that, okay? But what I'm saying is when two people bind themselves together, look, the, the, that was the Hebrity revivals. I misspoke. The, the Welsh revivals began with two teenage girls, two teenage girls that got, got right with God and started praying in revival, where people started showing up, not knowing why they were there. In fact, in the Hebrides revival, these ancient mariners would come to the shore. These men that used to get their living by fishing, they'd come to the shore and they'd get under so much conviction that they would get down the boats and a call would go into pastors to come out and lead them to the Lord just because they were in the vicinity of where the Holy Spirit of God was working. People walking to church say, I don't know why I'm here. Pastor Sal, no, I know why. I know why you're here. Why? Because two people got together and bound themselves in prayer until God opened up the heavens and revival came down. But they got right with God. Number three, we put ourselves at the disposal of God. Allow him to use us. We get up in the middle of the night and we start praying for revival. See, these young people deserve it, and we need to respond to it. You want a revival in the country? It begins where? At these altars, and it could begin tonight. You say, well, I don't normally go to the altar. Might be a good time to start, because the altar is reminiscent of the Old Testament, where we, God's people, would come and give a sacrifice. Well, we are living sacrifices to God. I don't know about you, I want to see something miraculous before God takes us home. I don't know about you, I want to see the whole world scratch their head and say, how on earth did that happen? And what's going on in America? And we can say, we tell you, it's not a what, it's a who, and he is God. That is how revival begins, right here by those three things. I'm back at 2-3 and I'm done. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Can you see it? I don't know about you. I can see it. I can see it. I can see it coming. And we need to be a part of it. I can see it. It's coming. I want to be one of those that pray for it. I want to be one of those that reaches out for it. The vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, God says three words, wait for it. 
because it will surely come. It will not tarry. We want this nonsense, these riots to stop. It can begin right here at these altars by us getting serious about God. So I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to ask the piano to play. I'm going to ask you, if these young people mean something to you, young people at your church, your grandchildren, even our fellow citizens, even the people that are rioting, that are blinded, who's res- they say resist. Well, if we don't reach them, God says in Hebrews, they'll resist unto their own damnation. They're not the enemy, they're the patient. And we, we have the answer from the great physician. We need to get to an old-fashioned altar and understand this is the time of urgency and make some commitments, maybe determine not to know certain things and get that Bible going in our minds and our hearts. Start praying with some purpose and start getting some miracles to pray for. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.